Good morning and welcome to the Coinbase Institutional Market School. My name is Ben Floyd and I will be your host for today. Today I'm joined by Tammy Yao and Greg Sutton, two CEO sales traders, David Duang, our head of institutional research, and Sid Shikar, a senior blockchain researcher over here at Coinbase. It's Tuesday, the 7th of February, around about 10 o'clock Eastern. So please keep this in mind if you're watching it later on in the day. Now, to our agenda, we're going to kick off with Tammy, who's based in Asia. He's going to run us through a market update. What are some of the moves in some of the smaller assets and what's been happening with BTC and ETH and also some of the most important news we need to keep track on. We're then going to hand over to David to run through the macro and the research. There was a ton of macro last week and earnings, and we've got Chairman Powell speaking this week as well. So we're going to run through what's most important to look out for there. Greg's going to then run us through trade flows. How are people positioned into the Fed? How are they trading after? And what are they thinking right now as we continue to stay at these elevated levels? And then lastly, we'll run through DeFi. As always, a ton happening there. And Sid's going to help us break down and understand exactly what it all means. Now, without further ado, Tammy, let's get across to you. What's been going on in crypto this week? Sure, Ben. So the market was expecting Powell to lean hawkish at his press conference last week especially after risk assets rallied so fast and so much in January. Instead, he surprised the market by being cautiously optimistic and not pushing back as much as expected. And this gave the market the confidence to trade higher, with BTC finally breaking above the resistance level of $24,000. However, Friday's strong NFP and low unemployment numbers led to a small pullback in the market, as this meant an increasing likelihood of a soft landing instead of a recession, which also indicates a higher chance for the Fed to stay on course. Now, BTC has broken through the support of $23,000 after the weekend and is holding somewhat stable around that level. This afternoon on Tuesday, Fed Chair Powell will be interviewed by David Rubenstein at the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. And his statement is likely to be closely watched for clearer guidance on future policy and where crypto hits next. And at the moment, BTC is still trading firmly above its 50-day moving average of close to $19,800. Funding rates are still positive at the moment, indicating that the market is still bullish. Okay, so I just want to jump in there. So, um, and also David and Greg want to bring you guys in as well. So we, we've got, we had the non-farms on, on uh, Friday, obviously, uh, and we had all the macro data last week. Um, what, what, what should we be looking out for today, David, at... Uh, any from from Chairman Powell when he when he speaks in the Washington Economic Club? Yeah, that's a good question because I think that even though Fed has kind of distanced himself a little bit away from that hawkish tone, uh, obviously the data has kind of come in and people are kind of struggling how to interpret it. So people are looking for guidance really from Powell in terms of is this going to be taken much more hawkish given that you know not just the non-farm payrolls but the ISM data. So it's not just the hard economic data but the soft economic data. Both of them appear to be turning and it's kind of flip-flopped a lot over the last couple of weeks because you got to remember just a few weeks ago we got the empire state uh, manufacturing index that survey was actually pointing much weaker but then the ism is now pointing that we're in expansionary territory so i think uh no one really knows how to kind of absorb this right now there's a lot of uncertainty i honestly don't think he's going to provide a lot more clarity on these i don't think that he can go from kind of stepping back from the hawkish tone from a few days ago and actually kind of go more aggressive this time. Uh, I also think that a lot of that data is contingent on what we're going to have, what's happening right now, that's going to be lagged into March. So for example, housing data, I think is going to turn even weaker as we get into March. Um, but I think we won't see that data until later. 
So it's really asking a lot for the Fed to change his point of view, to be more hawkish, given the fact that there's not a lot of clarity right now yet on, say, what services level, services sector inflation kind of looks like going forward. Interesting. And, and Greg, you've obviously been speaking to a ton of clients pre and post, but how were people positioned into this? Uh, and, and kind of what have we seen after the fact, after particularly Wednesday and, and then Friday in terms of flows? Yeah, it's a good question. So going into it, um, for the most part, all of our client segments were, were net buyers. Um, and uh, we saw the continuation of that buying directly after the Fed on uh, Wednesday and into Thursday. Uh, Friday's data obviously threw a wrench in um, a lot of that bullishness. And we did see some de-risking, especially from the traditional hedge fund community. Um, on the buy side, uh, the crypto native funds um, have really shrugged off the data, it seems. Uh, they haven't changed their uh, habits very much. Um, and I think, as David said, you know, we're all hoping to get some more clarity uh, from today's uh, talk with Powell. But, uh, you know, I agree with David. I, I doubt that he's going to change his tune or, uh, or offer us, uh, you know, any crumbs that, uh, that we're looking for here. Interesting. And Tammy, what we you in APAC in terms of flows? Is, is it a similar type of kind of a uh, similar type of makeup for, to what Greg mentioned just there in terms of positioning into it and then also trading outside of uh, the data? Yeah, so for Asia, we didn't really see much of a change uh, pre, pre-statement and post-statement. We still see the same type of buyers coming in, passively accumulating BTC and the alts. So really uh, about the same flows as what Greg is seeing in US. Interesting. And then moving, we'll, we'll cover that more in a second, but moving to, to other digital assets, you've got a few large movers here. What's going on there? Yeah, so for the large movers, last week's theme was all about the layer two zero knowledge tokens. And this week, focus has shifted to the higher beta sectors like AI and Metaverse. So AI tokens in particular like AGIX, FET and GRT have rallied massively, possibly driven by the explosion of interest in ChatGPT. So starting off with AGIX, AGIX is Singularity Net's native utility token. And this token has rallied more than 200% in a week. Singularity Net is a blockchain-based AI marketplace, and it's for anyone to create and share AI services. So while the graph might be a more familiar name as an indexing protocol, Fetch AI, on the other hand, is a platform that provides the infrastructure for an AI-based economy. So both the graph and Fetch have seen a rally of close to 100% in just one week. Generally, while these tokens have done very well as a sector, I personally think it's still too early to tell if this iteration of AI protocols will take off or if this is just part of a speculative fad that might soon fizzle out. So outside of these, we have Render, a metaverse token, which rallied after the launch of a new foundation and after the project's DAO approved a burn and min mechanism. And then on the other hand, Aptos is one of the week's biggest underperformer as it finally takes a breather after extended rally in the last couple of weeks. Interesting. So we've definitely got retail engaging here. I think it's fair to say that institutions are generally uh, not buying these assets. Um, and Greg and David, just want to bring you guys in here. We were on a call yesterday with a, a kind of a large institutional client there, and we were kind of discussing how this move higher has been potentially pretty hated. Very few people were positioned, and kind of a classic bear market rally. Greg, curious for your, for your kind of additional thoughts on that. Yeah, it's certainly folks weren't positioned for this move. Um, 
and I think that's why we've seen it, uh, you know, these price levels persist. Um, a lot of the conversations we've had, you know, are, hey, I, you know, I don't have my full position on now, but I'd probably add closer down by the, you know, the 200 day moving average or, or something like that. Um, we obviously haven't seen that pullback. Um, so we, again, pre-Fed and initially post-Fed, uh, we started to see people add to those positions even you know, up around these levels, north of 23,000 in BTC. Uh, that jobs number, again, has really created sort of two camps in the crypto market. Uh, the more traditional finance camp that's taking that numbers very seriously um, and, and de-risking, and then the, the crypto native camp uh, that, you know, sees the price action in crypto, uh, sees the levels that we're still holding at and uh, is continuing to add. So I think it'll really be this week coming up, um, kind of what price tells us as we, uh, you know, get through Powell and, and into the later part of the week that, um, you know, decides, you know, the, the tra trajectory of prices from here. And are we seeing any capitulation buying in crypto? And I ask that because there was a Bloomberg article yesterday stating that hedge funds are degrossing at some of the largest paces in, in kind of recent history. Uh, now, crypto is slightly different, heavily tied to macro, but are we seeing any capitulation buying there or are kind of people still buying their time and generally trying to hold the, the lower levels? So, you know, I think most of the shorts, um, at least the shorts that were, uh, you know, put on at much lower levels, those have pretty much been cleared out. And, you know, we see that when we look at both funding rates and basis. Um, so, you know, now it'll be, you know, do the longs get cleared out with a, uh, you know, with a violent move lower based on, you know, some data that comes in or, you know, something that, that changes the narrative, um, kind of market wide. Interesting. And, and I guess in terms of changing that narrative, uh, Tammy, would love to hear from you your thoughts on kind of the DCG and, uh, and Genesis restructuring that came out yesterday. Yeah, Ben. So we finally saw some good news out of the whole DCG Genesis saga. So today, Gemini reached an agreement in principle with Genesis and DCG. So in this restructuring plan, Gemini will contribute up to $100 million more for earned users. And then on the other hand, DCG will contribute its share of equity in Genesis Global Trading. And that is the trading arm of Genesis. And it will contribute this equity to Genesis Global Holding Company. So this will bring all of Genesis-related entities under the same holding company, which will then be sold to maximize recovery. But interestingly, according to the Financial Times, DCG has already begun selling some of its stake in the Grayscale Ethereum Trust to repay Genesis creditors. So a quarter has already been sold so far at $8 per share. Interesting. And is that, so is that, that's been sold in the open market, presumably? Yes, that's right. Wow. So David, does this draw a line underneath what we've, like the kind of the contagion risk around DCG uh, for, in crypto? I think that, you know, we've kind of been going through these uh, processes already. And, you know, we've said that a lot of these deleveraging events have kind of left us in a better place. But you know, to kind of Greg's point, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say anything about whether I love or hate this rally, but I do feel that a lot of what we've seen has been somewhat unhealthy insofar as we know that a lot of tokens have been locked up, like just even uh, people who are taking uh, some of these tokens off exchanges and putting it in self-custody, for example, or presumably in self-custody, like that has totaled somewhere around $8 billion worth since uh, November for BTC and ETH alone. 
We know that a lot of these assets are being locked up in government custody due to the FTX situation. So it does seem strange that counterbalanced against some of the, say, financing issues that have also kind of squeezed liquidity out of here, that there is still some marginal demand that I think is taking like, uh, which is putting pressure on the lack of supply and actually causing some of these price moves higher. And it's not to say that there aren't any idiosyncratic stories that are supporting things like Tammy brought up the, the graph. You know, we saw that they made the announcement that there's going to be layer two scaling on there. So maybe people are attracted to it and they've seen that uh, this is an asset that has probably been beaten up over the course of the last year. Uh, but it just seems that like overall, uh, I'm not ready to kind of give up on the idea that, you know, we've already kind of reached the bottom on everything and it's only upside from here. I, I think that things are going to be bumpy going forward. Nice. And we'd love to kind of run through your, your next slide, David, on kind of where we are in terms of potential rate cuts, because I guess that that might be something that kind of really changes the, the foundation of what we're sitting on here. I think many feel relatively concerned that we've rallied without anything, particularly from a macro perspective, really changing. So, so how, how are you thinking about that going forwards? Yeah, so I think we've already kind of pointed out that, of course, the two big uh, data points that people are looking at right now are on the hard data side, the non-farm payables growth. And, you know, you got to keep in mind that even if we not just take the expectations going into that uh, print, that, but we look at the average over the last couple of months, you know, it's uh, still around 200,000 jobs above what uh, we've been seeing previously. And there's some issues in terms of the seasonal data involved in that benchmarking that gets involved in that uh, because there have been changes recently. But by any measure, this is still a really large like uh, increase that shows that the labor market is still very tight. Um, and, you know, you look at the PMI data as well. The ISM data suggests that, you know, that we're still expanding. So I think where markets have previously been kind of pricing that we were going to undershoot in terms of the Fed's expected terminal rate, to somewhere below 5%, for example, as the Fed was saying that it has to be above that. Now we're seeing that already in the Fed funds futures, uh, we're pricing in somewhere around 510. So there's an extra hike or a, an additional hike, I should say, kind of priced in for the June, July meeting now. So it's now expecting that we're gonna hike, the Fed's gonna hike in March and May, and then probably one additional one to kind of get us above that to maybe somewhere around five and a quarter, but 5.5% is in, possibly in play. I think what we're going to be watching out for now is what do the March dot plot say? Like if the dot plot actually doesn't change, for example, and the Fed's position stays firm that we need to kind of price in this, uh, this terminal rate to five and a quarter, five and a half percent. I think that that's going to take markets somewhat off guard. Some of that's priced in, as you can kind of see from that chart on the right, if you're looking at this uh, on the video. Uh, but I'd say that for the most part, people are still on the fence about whether we're going to see a Fed pivot here. The challenge really is that, like, in, I, I haven't really seen this in a real long time, but like any outcome here has an equal chance of happening right now. And that is really the challenge for market players. I don't think this kind of changes our view. I do believe that probably the next month, maybe month and a half, like we could still be in cautiously optimistic territory for, for market asset prices. Uh, but I would be concerned very much about what happens probably in the second quarter. So it feels like much of uh, 2022 still, just keeping on the data and, uh, and, and see, what, see what that tells us. Moving on to trade flows now, 
Greg, what, what are we seeing uh, on the exchange, on the desk? Um, I did note this week that CoinShares had their fourth week of inflows. I think it was $76 million, of which $69 million was Bitcoin. So super, super Bitcoin heavy there. What, what are we seeing uh, our side? Yeah, so uh, volumes on exchange are starting to decline uh, a bit from the more elevated levels we saw back in January. And I think that's because traders are grappling with what we're grappling with on this call, which is, you know, what's the next move going to be? Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, a lot of data that we have uh, yet to see. Um, in our conversations with clients, the question that keeps coming up is, you know, how much more upside could there really be uh, in the near term? You know, Bitcoin's trading around 23,000. Uh, we did break above 24 uh, very briefly. You know, 25 has been talked about as a level. Um, but really, I haven't heard anybody get you know, overly bullish um, that I, I need to be, you know, paying these levels. Um, you know, likewise, uh, again, a lot of people are underinvested. And uh, though we have seen some de-risking in some client segments, uh, a good portion of our clients, I think, are very comfortable with their position. So, you know, both of those factors are leading to sort of the more subdued volumes that we're seeing at the moment. Um, we are seeing interest move away from BTC and ETH uh, into the altcoins on the exchange. Uh, now, normally that's a very healthy occurrence, um, but most of the volume on the exchange in the altcoins is actually moving into Doge and SHIB, which to me means that risk-seeking behavior uh, among the retail crowd is back and tells me that things might be a little bit frothy. So that's one data point that you know we're looking at that that gives us pause. Um, now, if we look at the derivatives market, uh, Tammy mentioned this earlier. Uh, per funding rates are positive. Basis is marginally positive. Uh, I don't see any really attractive opportunities in basis at the moment, but it is worth watching. If we get a move higher uh, in crypto. It's likely that BTC and ETH basis will go back out to the 15% plus annualized uh, levels as folks put on length. Now, we saw that briefly after the FOMC last week. Uh, you know, that evening of Wednesday evening, it actually got out to 20%. And that's really levels where it becomes really interesting. So if basis is something you trade, uh, you know, I would keep a close eye on, uh, on that spread. On the vol side, uh, we're seeing one month skew in Bitcoin and ETH trade pretty close to flat, um, which tells me that the options market isn't positioned for a large move one way or the other. Uh, the term structure in both are also relatively flat and has been really well anchored, especially the later expiries. Uh, and I'm a bit surprised by this. Um, you know, ETH vol at the moment isn't pricing in any unordinary movement around Shanghai. So, you know, one play might be to, uh, you know, trade the March-June term structure uh, in the expectation that that will move into backwardation, you know, as we get closer to the event. And again, that's where March will trade above um, June. So, you know, a few interesting things we're looking at, um, you know, no screaming opportunities at the moment, um, but, uh you know, some that, that may pop up given a dislocation uh, in the market that, again, could come based on what Powell says, um, a headline, you know, what have you. Uh, now, you mentioned the inflows into coin shares. 
uh, and those inflows being predominantly in, in BTC. Um, post FOMC, one interesting fact is we actually saw most of the risk being cut in Bitcoin. Um, and again, I think that's just because that's, you know, that had the biggest move. That's where the longs were. Um, so that's where we're seeing, um, you know, a, a lot of folks uh, cut risk. It's one of the obviously more liquid assets. So that'll be a, a really interesting asset to watch, you know, again, through Powell's speech and into the latter half of this week. Yeah, it's interesting. definitely the ETH BTC um, ratio certainly shows us that that's had a, a decent week, as uh, Tammy mentioned in the first slide. I said, moving on to DeFi Web3, a ton going on there, as always. Uh, A16 um, voted down the uh, BNB, uh, or rather Uniswap moving across to BNB. Um, would love to kind of hear your, hear your thoughts on that. Do we expect to see another vote come up soon, or, or is that now, now done, do you think? Because they're obviously a very important person in, within that ecosystem. Yeah, it was a very controversial uh, vote. Uh, uh, across the crypto community, uh, mainly because obviously Uniswap is one of the central pieces of DeFi infrastructure, uh, but also um, because of the fact that you know Uni, the governance tokens, like a five billion dollar market cap uh, asset, its primary use case is governance, right? And it's for these kinds of decisions. And uh, it was interesting to see it laid bare for its use case, especially when uh, such a large holder like A16Z. Uh, they deployed all 15 million of their uni tokens to vote against a proposal uh, to uh, move the Uniswap, uh, to deploy the Uniswap protocol on, on the BNB chain. Um, and, uh, you know, this kind of drew some criticism from crypto Twitter in terms of like, it's a kind of centralized cartel type deal where uh, a few parties control all of governance for uni. Um, but, uh, the actual contentious bit here wasn't exactly the deployment into BNB itself, but the way that it would be deployed. Uh, so the point of uh, contention was uh, which bridge would be used to bridge over uh, the tokens. And uh, the, the two kind of front runners were the wormhole bridge or layer zero. And A16Z was pushing for layer zero to be adopted as a bridge of choice uh, because they are backing uh, that uh, you know protocol in that company. Um, but uh, uh, you know, and layer zero was kind of the subject of some controversy recently as well. They were, they were, you know, they were accused of having some security vulnerabilities, but they they refuted them and they they came back with a rebuttal. Uh, but regardless, it was, it was a very contentious debate. Ultimately, it was settled uh, after a, a very complicated discussion, where the community chose the wormhole bridge, um, which you know is is backed by uh, Jump Crypto, um, and uh, and uh, and layer zero came in second place. So. Uh, this is kind of a, a second kind of uh, temperature check vote. There'll there'll still be a final vote after this, so we'll see the ultimate results. But uh, this is where it's been heading. Interesting. So there's going to be a ton of uh, I'm sure conversations behind the scenes between large shareholders around lobbying um, for for one direction or, or other. When can we expect to see the next vote? Uh, I think it'll be put up for proposal within the next week or so, uh, and so we'll see how that. Uh, so it's been pretty contentious, pretty close, actually, uh, up until the, the final stages. So we'll see how the final one uh, plays out. Amazing. And what does that do for Uni? Obviously, it goes onto another chain. There's plenty more people that can use it. Should it grow TVL or 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 not, do we think? 
Uh, 100%. Um, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, there's a big user base on the BNB chain that's distinct from uh, the rest of, you know, DeFi in a way because they're onboarded via Binance and they just go directly to BNB and operate only exclusively there. Uh, as is kind of seen by the volumes and usage that PancakeSwap, the dominant DEX on the chain has been getting. So potentially it attracts some of that user base uh, and gets TVL and volumes uh, going and uh, and uh, net positive for Uniswap for sure. Interesting. And now switching gears a little bit, uh, kind of other layer two type technology. So Starkware are going to open source their Priva technology uh, for ETH L2. And then um, Matic also announced that their uh, ZK EVM was going to be launched very soon. Uh, curious, like how impactful is are those two things for, for the space, do you think? Uh, pretty, um, you know, the Starkware open sourcing it is obviously great for the community. Uh, folks can inspect the technology and uh, potentially also build on top of it. Um, um, and and it's kind of moving the moving the needle forward a little bit uh, in terms of the industry. Uh, you know, um, in a similar vein to you know Google versus uh, OpenAI, right? Uh, where the layer two tech, you know, heavyweights are trying to kind of duke it out in terms of both on the tech side, uh, on the privacy side, on the scalability side, and then ultimately it's going to come down to the user side, uh, having the products and the and the apps on these layers to actually attract users. So that's where the final battle is to be played. I guess it's interesting for for Starkware specifically, uh, presumably open sourcing their previous technology it should help them grow uh, if people get more comfortable with it. And uh, it's something that I think they they've been reluctant to in the past. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and, and uh, it's also more leaning towards the crypto ethos of, of of open sourcing, and like where the value capture is to be had, right? Uh, is it is it really in closed source tech? Is it in the is the tech so special, or is it in the community? Is it in the game theoretic dynamics? Like we can see saw last week, Canto and its TVL growth, it's completely off the shelf components, nothing proprietary there, but just the way they designed the the ecosystem was is is leading to its growth. So, a lot of different ways to grow in crypto. Wow, so it's so tough to to get a really good sense of what's going to be successful here. So many different factors that play in. What what else has been going on in DeFi this week? Um, so outside of Ethereum and you know layer ones, layer twos, etc. Um, alternatively, on the Cardano ecosystem, there's been a, a new stable coin that's been launched called Jed, uh, D G A E D, uh, and it's attracted over thirty million ADA tokens to be staked. It's a, it's an over collateralized stable coin where you deposit Cardano tokens as collateral and mint the stablecoin. Um, and, uh, you know, it's showing pretty rapid growth and adoption uh, in the ecosystem. Um, and a lot of DEXs on Cardano are adopting it as well and uh, uh, offering incentivized pairs for it. So potentially we have a native stablecoin ecosystem emerge there uh, on the Cardano ecosystem. Uh, obviously, a lot of token holders are looking for things to do with their ADA tokens. So this is a great use case and potentially use it in DeFi as collateral as well. Interesting. So that sounds somewhat similar to the maker model. Is that is that fair? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, this is significantly more uh, over collateralized, though. So uh, all the more. Interesting. And do you get a good sense of like where people are that are, that are using Cardano? Like, is it a geographic thing where they're in in Europe or the Far East, or because it's one of those one of those things I, I just don't hear too much about. So I'm always curious for like the the number of monthly active users or daily active users. Yeah, it's a tricky one to get uh, geographical distribution just because of the nature of you know blockchains and privacy and things of that nature. Uh, but uh, but uh, one of the trends that we've seen for sure is uh, a lot of these users are kind of 
first time users of Cardano, of, of blockchains in general, in terms of we're not seeing them uh, necessarily bridge over into Cardano, but come right off centralized exchanges. Uh, so buy ADA and then uh, withdraw that ADA from centralized exchanges to the chain and then interact with the chain. So potentially a new user base being onboarded here. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, anything for us to look out for this this coming week? Um, nothing in particular. There's a there's a few. Uh, yeah, just a general trend for the entire month. It's just to look out for the liquid staking derivatives scene uh, and uh, potentially some alpha, which is to see the pairs of liquid staking derivatives on on especially on Uniswap V3. Uh, where if you LP with some of these uh, tokens, uh, it's a pretty attractive yield on 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 essentially just holding Ethereum, uh, which is which is pretty decent. Interesting. And then does that also extrapolate to L2s as well, uh, and doing the same thing on L2s? Exactly. Exactly. Wherever there's Uniswap, you can LP it and uh, and collect the yields from the volatility. Interesting. Now, one other thing, David, I want to bring you here as well is Bitcoin artifacts, um, otherwise potentially known as Bitcoin NFTs. David, do you want to just run run us through what, what we're seeing here? Because this is, if I'm honest, if I'm understanding this correctly, one of the first times that people are using Taproot for something uh, slightly more novel. I think, yeah, so just, I think you're on mute, David. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I would say that actually some of the origins of this came out in early 2022 post like Taproot. So it actually uses uh, both Taproot and Sedgwit. And uh, the idea behind it is that uh, you can actually inscribe data onto the smallest units of uh, Bitcoin, so the Satoshi. And the idea is that it's a two layer kind of approach where you have the ordinals protocol which actually allows you to kind of uh, have a number order for uh, the, you know, these components. Um, and then on top of that, you combine it with the inscription protocol, the inscription side of things, where you can actually attach uh, you know, anything that you can put on a you know, web application, anything you can host, like a, a picture, for example, um, and put it in the witness part of, the, uh, of that uh, component. Um, as a result, like uh, we've seen kind of a very large kind of increase in transaction fees on the Bitcoin network very recently. Uh, it's actually nearly doubled over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, but although that said, like the average in January was still something like 92, 93 cents. Um, so it's not ex exorbitant, but it's created a lot of controversy within the Bitcoin community in terms of uh, whether the network needs to just house things of, you know, purported value. Uh, or whether something like this actually should be housed uh, on the network. So that's something that's happening right now. Amazing. Okay, cool. Sid, have you been, have you been playing around with that? Is that one for this week? Get a little play around and see if you can create a Bitcoin artifact? Yeah, it's a good good one to play around with uh, and see the experience as well. Uh, there are some side effects of that in terms of transaction fees spiking a little bit, not too much, and then also debate around uh, spam, potential spam of the chain where people just create random uh, artwork and, and, and inscribe it on chain. So um, interesting one to play for sure. Yeah, I guess so much of this stuff always comes down to infrastructure and like tooling around it and how easy is it for someone just to get in there and, and give it a go. So one to, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, to hearing how you guys get on next week. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how you found it. Cool, well, that's a wrap for today. Um, thank you everyone for dialing in and thank you everyone all of the, the Coinbase team for your, your thoughts. Uh, and thanks for our production team as well. Um, 
another busy week and look forward to seeing you next week. Good luck out there. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.